Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. I'm going to give you just a short review of where we've been. Last week we had Chad and Sarah. Pray for Chad and Sarah. They're really, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say they're struggling, but Chad's been sick, and he's had to work sick, and uh, they just uh, are under it right now. So if you know them and can remember to lift them up in prayer, please do that this week. And I'm so thankful. How many of you heard their, their sharing and their testimony? It was so good last week. By the way, we took a... A, uh, a offering for them at the end that nobody knew we were going to do that. We raised $2,000, so give yourself a hand. So that's, that's for the next trip that's coming up. So this is a review of what we've been looking at. We looked at the issue of covenant, and a covenant is a God-introduced agreement between God himself and humans. So a lot lot of misconceptions. Covenant is not a way of man reaching God. Covenant was always God's way of reaching down to man. The Abrahamic covenant that we looked at was a covenant of blessing and favor to a particular group of people through one man and then all of his offspring. So if you will, and we use this term, it was by pedigree. The very covenant that God had with Abraham was passed on to his children, and yes, even his spiritual children. And what's really interesting, it wasn't just a covenant of blessing. It was a covenant that reflected grace of God, totally in God's grace. And he kept his covenant. That's the other thing that we need to know. To all of Abraham's children, the covenant was kept, even unto today, you and I. When we came into Christ, and when Christ came into us, we came in to a, a covenant blessing and became this, the true Israel that came out of Abraham. That's what the New Testament teaches us. Here's the thing about the Abrahamic covenant. It all centered on Abraham receiving and believing who God was and what he said to him. Abraham believed God, the scripture tells us, and in believing God, God accounted Abraham righteous. He justified him, gave him right standing. Now, now you have to understand these words because to mean justified means this. Abraham was holy before God. Abraham was righteous before God. Abraham was sanctified before God. Abraham stood holy before God. Why? Because he believed God. Simply as that. And God gave that to him as a free gift. It's such a reflection of the grace and truth that comes to us by Jesus Christ. Well, years passed. We all know the story. I'm not going to go into detail about all this. And the children of Abraham... Go through a lot of stuff. You can read the story through the book of Genesis and everything. We get to Exodus and we know. They go down to Egypt. They end up (coughs) overstaying their stay. And the new leaders in Egypt rise up. And it's only a few years later they end up becoming slaves 
to the Egyptian leaders. They stay in Egypt. They don't return to their promised land. And they become familiar with it. And so they get integrated into Egyptian culture. But through their pedigree, through who their father was, they stay a separated people in the land of Egypt. So they are recognized, if you will, and this is not a demeaning or derogatory term, as Jews, as the people of Abraham. And so, and they grow, they prosper. They make lots of babies, in other words. And each of the tribes keep growing and growing and growing. The problem is they're slaves. They're servants. They have no rights. And they basically do all the work uh, for the Egyptian masters. Well, God raises up a leader, Moses, who we know that story well. It's a beautiful story. You can see all the rendition of the story of him drawn out of the water. And there's so much symbolism there. There's so much type and shadow in that story that point us to Christ and to God. And it's a beautiful story, but I'm not going to go into all that detail. And there's a beautiful story of what happens as they get freed from bondage in Egypt and get taken out. But what we're going to do today is to head on up to Sinai. So they get freed through Moses. He leads them out of Egypt. And uh, the Egyptians, we know, didn't want to let them go at first. But uh, God does miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle for them. All based, this is what I want you to get this morning, on one thing. He made a promise to Abraham. That's what it was based on. Not over their goodness as a people group. Not over how right or wrong they did things. Simply because he made a covenant with Abraham. Isn't that stunning? God keeps his promises. That's what we can hang on to with that. Well, they get led, they cross the Red Sea, and uh, we all know the stories from Sunday school. If you don't know those stories, I encourage you to go back and read it. They travel for a little over three months. They go through the desert, and again, every provision is made for them. And you know what they do the whole time? They gripe, they complain, they resist, they argue. <laughs> They say, where is God? They get, they get miraculous food. They get food from heaven that some people refer to as angel bread, manna. And they, they even get that, and it comes every day. All they have to do is go pick it up off the ground, and they start complaining about that. Yet, nothing in return is done to them. God just keeps blessing them. There's not one act of God punishing them basically for being ingrates. How many of you watch Big Bang Theory? Yeah, as Brenda was doing all that stuff about Mother's Day, I was going, Howard, I'm stuck in a bathtub. <laughs> well, that's, that's these guys as they go, these for, travel these first few months. They gripe, complain. They, they, do, they do all that. They're in God's ear and not one bit of punishment. They come to Sinai. 
on the outskirts of returning to the land that God has promised through Abraham to give to them. And God wants to meet with them as a people. So he asks just a couple of things. He says, clean yourselves up. I want you to come up on this mountain. Come meet with me. This is my desire for you, that you would be a kingdom, a people together of priests and kings. Not just one tribe being a priest, but his desire was individually for each one of those children of Abraham to be a priest and king. By the way, that promise has been restored to us through Jesus Christ in our relationship to him today. Uh, They do a funny thing. They get there, they look up and they see a cloud over the mountains and they know that God's voice is loud. They get scared. Uh, understandably so, but they do something very strange. They don't want to have relationship with God. They want somebody else to go do it for them. And so they they do this funny thing in, in Exodus 19. They tell Moses, yeah, you go talk to God. You be our leader. You find out what he wants us to do and tell him whatever he wants us to do, we'll do it. We'll accomplish it. We'll do and obey everything that he tells you. And the first church of self-promotion was born. The first church of self-justification was born on that day. They don't want to meet personally. They don't want to have a relationship with God. They want to find out what the rules are. Now, is that why God instituted the law? No. That's only a partial aspect of it. But in that, Moses goes up and receives the law. We all know this story well. While he's up getting what God wants them to do, they're all, they already start not doing it. They, they already form that first church and create a golden calf and start worshiping a false idol before Moses ever gets time while God's meeting with Moses. Guess what? They wouldn't do it. They couldn't do it. It was an impossibility even when they said it out of their mouth. Even though they were just asked simply to consecrate themselves, to clean themselves up and to come up, they couldn't do it. So this is what basically God responds with. He goes, okay, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possessions. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your forefathers. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey. Ouch. Ouch. They'd never known that whole time in traveling the, first, the previous three months, they never knew God's punishment. They never tasted God's wrath. Immediately when the law comes and they go back to their grumbling and complaining, do you know what happens? 
crispy critter. God's judgment comes on. He said, okay, you don't want to relate to me this way? You want to relate to me by rules? If you don't obey the rules, here's my holiness. Here's a standard. Here's how it comes down. And they couldn't do it. And they suffered under it. So we see it switched from a covenant of blessing to a covenant of performance. If you do these things, blessed. If you don't do them, punished, cursed. It'd be great if there was only 10 of them. Most people, when they hear the law, we think of the Ten Commandments. But you find out through other chapters, through, through uh, the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and even in Numbers, here's how many there are. There are approximately 613 laws that they had to keep in order to be righteous with God. Everything from what they ate to how they ate to how they dressed, how they fixed food. I mean, it goes down to uh, the minutia of detail. And uh, how many of you like going over to the Bristol and eating seafood? Yeah, that wouldn't be counted. Only three or four of you? Man, some of you got to go to the Bristol sometime. Listen, moms, get, get some of that money out of dad's, out of your husband's pocket. Go over to the Bristol. <clears throat> good seafood there. Trouble is, if you were still living under the law, uh, 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 that's disobeying. Uh, uh, uh. Doesn't work. Through the law, the righteousness required through righteous living was revealed. So is the law bad? No. The law is perfect. The law is complete. It is a reflection of holiness and holy behavior before God. I, I think when, when we hear these things, most of us, it, it just kind of goes, eh. and yet we know there's always this tension between venerating God's word in the law and venerating what Jesus did through fulfilling the law. And there's this hard tensions for believers. And actually, most of us haven't even been taught well on how to read the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant. Old Testament and New Testament. So I want to give you just a little bit of instruction that will help. Because I went down the journey, and I'm not going to be politically correct here, and if that's you this morning, please, please forgive me. I'm not singling anybody out. But I went to a church years ago in which we studied the Old Testament to find Jesus and studied Moses and the journey and Sinai and then the building of the tabernacle of Moses until I was blue in the face from it and blue. We studied what the gold rings meant that went on the poles that held the Ark of the Covenant and all this stuff. It doesn't matter. Why? Because we are to read the Old Covenant this way. I just want to help you with it. The cross of Jesus Christ intersected time and understanding. 
I know that's a difficult concept. When we look back and see what God was doing with this people group, it's this. It gives us understanding through Jesus, through the cross. Don't ever read the Old Testament to find and look forward to Jesus because you'll see shadows and types. We understand the shadows and types by looking back through the cross. Does that make sense? We don't read the Old Testament to understand the cross and what Jesus did. We understand the Old Testament by reading it through the cross and what Jesus did. Why those things came upon and we get to see it as an example. And I don't know how you were taught, but I, through that that level of teaching that I went through, it just see I couldn't quite put into my own understanding what was off about it. Well, that was what was off about it. And we learned to study all these things. And I will tell you this, gold rings on a pole are nothing compared to the revelation of what Jesus Christ did in coming and being on a cross in the life that he put into you. It is nothing compared to that. It is a shadow. And that's what Paul taught, that when you read those, look at it and listen. There's something else that happens. I think it's because we like, we like mysterious stuff. And we like ceremony. We like pomp and circumstance. And all those things, I don't know how you are, like I... I I like reading fantasy stories. I like all the stuff about the incense rising and the secrecy of the curtains and all that stuff. And it does something that's very attractive in the, in the human soul. But we end up through that venerating something beyond what it should be venerated. Is it the word of God? Yes. But listen, those people... And how they did it, they didn't ever do it right. Do, do you understand that? As a, as a people that were called to keep covenant, they couldn't. They didn't. Do not venerate them. Can we find God in their right? Yes, but don't glorify that above what Jesus did. They are not a people you want to use as an example to follow. There are people that you want to use as an example to learn from and say, don't do it that way. They failed from first day. Now, you got to get this. 1,400 years of failure. Do you really want to follow 1,400 years of failure? 14 centuries of not doing it correctly. So when we read it, it's not to find out what was good, grandiose. Yeah, I want to do it that way. No, you don't. I'm probably stepping on some toes this morning, huh? If you learned it a different way, that's okay. Just bear with me. Here's what you have to do. Um, If you're in Christ, you get to forgive me. If you don't agree with me, that's okay. 
But boy, I would that you would study the book of Romans as much as this, (laughs) yea more. But this is how I feel about the law. This is what it means to me. The law of the Lord is perfect, revives the soul, doesn't convert the soul, can revive it. The statutes of the Lord, trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. What is the purpose of the law? Point us to Jesus. It's to point us to Jesus. The Israelites had to have faith. The law didn't make them right, and because they couldn't keep it, what was instituted in the law was a whole pattern in which they had to have faith in the sacrifice of animals to atone for them not keeping it. There had to be as much faith in play under the old covenant, maybe even more so than under the new, because the glorious thing about the new is he died once for sin, and in it he took it away. It's not covered. And in their sacrifices, it had to be done continually, not just once at a day of atonement. That was for the sins of the nation. But if you purposefully sinned before that, you needed to go... (laughs) Purchase an animal, make a sacrifice, get right with God. That's why it talks about that, listen, the Lord got tired of it. The scripture says, I don't take delight in the blood of bulls and goats. He has no delight in that kind of sacrifice. He does have a delight in the sacrifice of his son, which was a perfect sacrifice. In him... He delighted once for all. So here's God's ideas behind law covenant. The covenant that became the Mosaic covenant, the covenant of this 613 laws, a covenant of performance. First thing is behind that was the idea to preserve the seed of Jesus. Remember the Abrahamic covenant? That followed right through now this Mosaic covenant, and through faith and the sacrifice it made, the seed of Jesus, because there was a promise made to Abraham, and it was this. In you and in your seed, singular, seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that kept that intact. This is stunning. Stunning. That's why, that's why you have to value this covenant. It was actually through the doing of this covenant that, that that seed remained. Now, this is what it tells to you and me. And what we really need to get as new covenant believers, Jesus was always plan A. Jesus was plan A before the Garden of Eden. Jesus was plan A in God before Adam was created. He is, I am. So this is what the scriptures in the new covenant tell us. Before the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. That's so hard for our finite minds. Because we're bound by this time, space, this reality of what we live in, the finiteness of our being. 
But before God created anything, he had this plan of redemption through Jesus. And this is what I like about God. He stuck to his plan and he kept it. And it was always plan A. Before Adam and Eve fell into sin, Jesus is the I am. Isn't this stunning? Well, then what's my purpose? Set all that stuff. Just get stunned by the fact that before this world was created, you were a thought in the mind of God. We talk about going out and bearing witness. You're carrying, right now today, when you go into Price Chopper this afternoon to get dessert so mom doesn't have to fix it, when that person waits on you and looks at you, they are looking at somebody who is in the mind of God. But here's the glory of what we have now through the new covenant. I can look at them and say, before you were ever created, God knew you. And his plan was redemption for you. And not see them as the grumpy price chopper clerk. But see them as God would see them. As redeemed, complete, whole, fulfilled in him. And then you speak differently to them. Then you can speak life into them. Perchance that they are awakened to what God has already done for them. Stunning. We should each be bringing three people with us to church on Sunday mornings. Just invite them. Don't be embarrassed. If church is embarrassing, then we should all be embarrassed by now. But what if we grab somebody and bring them with us? Well, I'm just not too used to that. Well, (laughs) Jesus had that in his thoughts way before we were resistant to doing it. Okay, second thing. He did it to show the people, the Israelites, that they could not save themselves. They couldn't do it. Try as they might, they could not keep God's standard of holiness. Does that sound familiar to you? In all of your trying, did you ever fully succeed? I tried really hard. I've always loved God. Uh, I spent a lot of years trying hard. I kept trying to show God how much I loved him. I kept trying to show (laughs) God and myself, I think mostly. Really, I was a pretty good idol to myself. I don't know about you. I would try so hard to do it right. And I would go, okay, I'm going to do 1 John. I'm going to practice righteousness because to him who practices righteousness, he is righteous. I tried really hard. But you know what? For all the attaboys I did, there was always that one old brother (laughs) that took it away. There was always that one Howard (laughs) that there was always that one little thing, that one... You know where we sin most? This thing. Do you know what I have the worst trouble with in being a pastor? It's not sinning with my mouth. Not being politically incorrect. Last Two weeks ago, or last week, I said something about Presbyterians, and that word came out of my mouth, and I was going, No! 
And I probably offended all the people with Presbyterian backgrounds because I told you all you were being too stoic and you needed to quit being Presbyterian. Even as it came out of my mouth, I was going, please, God, no, don't let it offend anybody. In myself, in the first church of performance, it never worked. Not 100% of the time. Not completely. Even if I could go three days studying, giving myself, making sure I was secluded, that I wouldn't run into anybody or talk to them. See, part of my wanting to be alone all the time was so I wouldn't sin with my mouth, truth be told. Then I'd go to the store, and there's that clerk. I couldn't keep God's standard of holiness. Not through the law. Then God awakened me to grace, and I understood my holiness was a gift from him because he did it. He did what I could not do. He kept it completely perfectly. Oh, now we're getting to new covenant. See, it's hard to do old covenant looking at it without coming to the new covenant reality. By, by the way, just sometime this week, start asking yourself, sit down with a piece of paper. And when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished, start writing down what you think is finished and what he meant. Just play with it a little bit. You'll have fun with it. Okay, third thing. He did it to institute an approach to God on the basis of blood sacrifice. They had to have faith in order to make it day by day and year by year in order to stay in the covenant. They did. They had to put faith in a, in a blood sacrifice. Thank God that we have a lamb that was slain once forever. Never has to be done again. They didn't. This is the fourth purpose of the law. It tells us this in the, in the New Testament and in a couple of different places, one of them being Galatians. It showed them their need for a savior. From the beginning in Genesis, all the way through the Abrahamic covenant, and then into the law covenant of Moses, the desire is for God to come down as savior, as Messiah. The prophets that are sent, almost all the prophecies are about the, the Messiah who is to come. Now remember, we're looking back we know that he did come. So here's some of the differences between Old Covenant, New Covenant. The reason I want to show some of these, not all of them, but just some of them, is because today, and why are you going through this? Because we've had a tendency to go back to performance. And even though we call ourselves New Covenant believers, we try to do it through an Old Covenant system. And it doesn't work. It's a system of performance. Under the Mosaic Covenant, the law demanded perfection of us. Under the New Covenant of Jesus, he provides perfection for us. He doesn't demand it, he provides it. It's given to me as a gift. The Old Mosaic Covenant, 
once again, New Testament, looks back, refers to it as the ministry of death. Because if you didn't do it, you what? Died. Law of sin and death. In the New Covenant, it is referred to as the ministry of life. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me from the law of sin and death. Oh, such glorious good news. The law under the Mosaic Covenant emphasized what you shall and shall not do. In the New Covenant, it says all the promises of God are in him. Basically, what he's saying is, you can't, I will. I will complete this. What he said, I've come to do your will, O God. And he did it and gives it to you as a gift. This is an interesting one. This is just a little aside and what's it got to do with the law and everything. Well, it does, but it's really interesting. And we never think about it being a difference. Under the old covenant, you were forbidden to be in the company of lepers. You know that. That was part of the law. Anybody that was unclean that way, you could not go near. You couldn't even say hi to them. You would cross the road and get as far away from them as possible. Guess what under the new covenant? You're commissioned to befriend them, to lay hands on them, and to speak healing in the name of Jesus Christ. You don't avoid them. You run to them and say, can I help you? Isn't that stunning? That's what he gives, to go to the lepers, not refrain from being around them. And that's so symbolic, isn't it? Don't call unclean what God has called clean. He gave his life for them. It's, it's the mo- it means more than just eating. When God shows up to Peter and says, I'm telling you, you know, do you know the story? Book of Acts, and, and so like this, this big blanket comes down. It's got all the unclean animals that Peter wasn't supposed to eat under the law. And God says, kill and eat. Go after it. Feast yourself. Peter's like, no, 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 no. God says, do not call unclean what I have declared clean. It is finished. Big term. Okay, I'll give you a hint when you look this week. You know what's finished? The old covenant. Do you know what happens in the scripture right after he says it's finished? The veil in the temple does what? Ripped apart. Everybody comes in. Ollie, ollie out's in free. No more rules, no more curtain, no more you got to do this to get close to God. He opens up a great throne of grace. That, the finished is the old covenant's over with. God. Uh, In the old covenant, (laughs) blessings were based on what you did, how you performed. Under the new covenant, it's based on what Jesus did, not what you do. Not what you do or don't do, what he did on your behalf. Run first to Jesus. It's incredible. Old covenant, curses are pronounced for disobedience. Here's something really glorious. This is from the book of Galatians. Curses are removed because of Jesus' obedience. He became a curse. So every, now not, just, not just the curses, we always use this in ministry time. If you're familiar with 
charismatic churches or spirit-filled churches, we always use that over, Jesus breaks the curse of your family lines and all of that. Listen, Jesus broke the curse of your disobedience yesterday. Matter of fact, when you go to try and remind him of it tomorrow, when you finally have your prayer time, I'm teasing. You know what he's going to say to you? What? What are you, what are you talking about? It is got to go read Hebrews. I will remember their sins. And that's written in the Greek, Ioris tense, and it means now forever. I, I was with our, with our group on Wednesday night. I was telling them, it's like, do you guys know who, who Chief Joseph was of the Nez Perce tribe? And when he came to an end, it was the last Indian war in, uh, in American history. And he makes this statement when he, when he signs the, the peace treaty. He says, I will make war no more forever. He got the Greek Aorus tense down. That's what this means. Your sins are no more forever. <laughs> you should be smiling right now. And I won't put a denominational thing on you. <clears throat> oh my gosh. I'm free I'm free, thank God Almighty, I'm free. Because it is finished. Live in a conclusion, not an equation. An equation always has you perform. That's what the old covenant did. You have to get the equation right. Under the new covenant, you get the conclusion right. Jesus did it. It's done. I feel like, you know, I read that stuff and I get I. I get like Smeagol when he told Gollum to leave. You know, gone, 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 precious, he's gone. You know? The good thing is, Gollum, Gollum is never coming back. He died and was buried with Christ. I was raised in a new life. Gone, 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 new New, new. You got to get this inside of you. Well, you're just overly exuberant and you're a real emotional guy. No, I'm the stoic German, but not anymore. Now I'm glorious Lloyd, living in the reflection. What's true of him is true of me. I tell you what, he's excited about this. He's gloriously excited about his good news. Last thing, the old is referred to as an inferior covenant. Everybody says, you know, well, it was glorious and all that. The, old, the New Testament in Hebrews 10 says it wasn't good enough. Do you understand that? I'm not here to pick a fight. I'm not doing that. I don't want to argue, but I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. It is called an inferior covenant. Well, it was perfect. He's perfect. We couldn't keep it. That's why it's inferior. You can't do it. And of course, the new, in Christ, is referred to as the superior covenant. The new covenant that has come. Sorry, I get excited about this stuff, you guys. It's just... Listen, if you get a revelation of this, 
you're like a person undone. You should, my whole home life has changed. Brenda and I used to get up and have quiet times. Now we get up and have shouting times. Well, we go off on the revelation of this. They seriously do. Like, you guys would laugh when, if you saw us drinking coffee, getting the caffeine in there, and then preaching real loudly at each other. I get saved every three days all over again. You should live with Brenda. Because it's so exciting when you get this and it's revealed to you. I'm an eternal being now. I'm not waiting. There's no distance, no delay. God finds me completely compatible. Not with what I did last night. Right now, forever. I'm saved now, forever. It'll change the way you walk through life. It'll change the way you work. It'll change the way you play. It'll change the way you sit and have quiet times. It'll change your understanding as you read the word of God. My whole perception has changed. I have grace glasses now. Listen, the whole city needs this, you guys. Here's what happens when you get caught. I'm not saying, please, so I am politically correct. I am not saying do not read your Old Testament. Not saying that. Recorder. I am not telling people not to read the Old Covenant. But I will tell you this. As they did it for years and years and wanted relationship in the law and not God, they studied the scriptures and then they wrote expositions on the law rather than writing about God. over and have studied it for years. And so one rabbi after another, after another, for 1,400 years they did that. We get to the time of Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus said about that. And the Father himself who sent me has testified to me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word biting in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are which testify of me. Don't have relationship to God through law. You'll get lost and you'll never find eternal life. Have relationship to the one who will come and live inside of you and make you his temple. I love that worship this morning. In him you live and move and have your being. Does that mean I don't have to read the Bible? No. Grow. You can grow in understanding. You can grow in grace, in your knowledge of grace. You can grow in your understanding. I suppose by weak human terms, you can grow in Jesus. If you want to say it that way. But listen, here's what the New Testament and the New Covenant says. I am complete I lack nothing. He has justified me. Always use this term. We'll look at it later. He has sanctified me. Past tense. It's already done. Matter of fact, Hebrews says I'm perfect. Just perfect. Don't you like me? I'm just 
perfect, even when I perfectly offend you. You're perfect. You're perfect. Listen, he and I get together and have lunch every while. Let me tell you what. He is the perfect guy to go to lunch with. You know why? Because when I see him, I see Jesus. He's been perfected. Here's the most shocking thing. You're already glorified. (laughs) Think about walking in Price Chopper. We should be walking in so Pentecostal. I'm sorry, I'm going to get in trouble for that. We should be so Pentecostal. Glory, 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 glory. Down every aisle, even when we reach for the cereal or the beer. Oh, sh- now that's got some of you speaking in tongues. Don't rebuke me. See, we're so scared of what we're going to do or not do. Now, are you promoting drinking? No, I just want you, I wanted to poke at some things. Listen, if we're going to be some, this kind of church, then we're going to poke. For some people, it's going to be really prickly. We are set free. Don't judge when you see a friend from church and he walks in Price Chopper and walks down and grabs a six-pack of Smithics. Some of you don't even know what that is. Don't go, oh, wonder if they're backslidden or not. You just put performance on them. Let all that stuff go. Listen, it's not worth it. Let it go. How successful have you been in getting somebody to live right by pointing out their wrong? It's not just the pointing back at you, though that's true. But it's this. It doesn't work. That's old covenant mentality. Go up and love on them. In matter of fact, invite them over to your house for dinner Get their feet up, wash their feet, take care of them, feed them the best steak that you got in the freezer, and tell them how much God loves them and that what's true of God is true of them. And don't even mention if you don't like them buying beer or not. Just see what happens. The church needs to return to being the forest gump of the of the spiritual landscape. We're seriously, we have to get dumb to all that other stuff and get wise into what love is. I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. Because, oh, isn't that what people want? It's what I want. That's why I always tell you if you disagree with me, be nice. Most of you are. I'm sorry, that was teasing. I told you I was in an honorary mood today. We better close. Ooh, we definitely better close this out. You're hungry and mom wants Mother's Day. I only got partway through this. I mean, we, can I read one short verse to you? Two people said no, and these over here won out. They said sure. So you guys are going to have to wait for your lunch. And I marked that down. No, just kidding. Listen to Romans 10.4, will you? 
and then read, if you're going to read in the Old Testament, read it through the lens of Romans 10.4. Here it is. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He brought an end to that mosaic system. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And he has qualified you. This is incredible. This is in 1 Peter. He has qualified you to be a partaker of the divine nature. Do you know what that means? You and Jesus taste the same. You and Jesus are the same. That's stunning. So I want to pray for everybody that's been struggling. So just all stand with me right now.